on the poker show tonight. It's the end of 2010. The magician Esfandiari stops by to talk about his big year. And Michael Craig talks about the biggest game of them all. Welcome to the Poker Show. Here's some highlights from tonight's show. If you want to go for steak, cut steakhouse at Palazzo is one of my favorites, along with STK at the Cosmo is amazing. They can go anywhere and sit across from anybody, and for any amount of money that anybody is willing to put up, they will match their mind against that person's mind. I mean, I don't, you know, maybe there's like five guys that had more fun than me in my, in my late 20s. <laughs> He loves to gamble. Uh, and just if you got a million people together who said, I love to gamble, he is the best out of that million. I had a multimillionaire on my left and two billionaires on his left, literally. <laughs> and uh, I asked Huck about the famous golf bet where he played five rounds of golf in one day right. in the summer in Las Vegas without a cart. He had to shoot under 95. I'm like, well, why don't you give me 100 to 1 odds on $100 that I'll be in the next movie? <laughs> and he gave me the bet. He beat Chip Reese for $10 million. Uh, Andy, you know, was lucky out of his mind. He was making straights and flushes all over the place. The And, and Andy felt like uh, Johnny Chan wasn't even there. And when he right. played Johnny Chan, he beat Johnny Chan. Right. And so viewers at home in Ohio sitting there watching their TV think about me playing like a nit. I don't give a shit. If I'm as big a fish as these guys say, then I'm sure they'll come down to Dallas and they'll play me for, you know, 100000 200000 and it was my button, and I was a billionaire in the small button, a billionaire in the big button. I got folded around to me, and I raised the button, and I'm like, well, I've never raised two billionaires of the same pot before. <laughs> when they played for five days, Andy lost $3 million. When they played for four, Andy won $10 million. So he was up $7 million, and uh, he came back, and uh, Ivy beat him for the $7 million in the first two days, and then for another ten on right. the third day. You know, it's not a poker movie at all. It's a, it's a pretty decent-sized $20 million budget movie with Bruce Willis, 50 Cent, and Ryan Philippe. What do you say we call Doyle up and see if he wants to play a little bit? And actually what they did is they, they called Jennifer Harmon and... Oh, well, the best club is about to be Marquee. And that is a club that is going to open at Cosmo on New Year's Eve. Well, 2010 is over, wrapped up nicely, and... What is ahead for 2011? That's the that's the big question. But I'll tell you what. Last night, if there's anything to go on, I was watching the Superstar Showdown uh, on Poker Stars, and it's kind of hard to watch. And if you know about this, this is their new signing, Isildur. One that we've been talking about. Isildur. He's one of the stories, obviously, of 2010. Uh, there was a good part of of most people's early. 2010 that they just spent uh and late 2009 in fact they just spent locked into uh you know laptops uh watching these these big games on full tilt between this unknown mystery swede isildur and durr and antonius and and galfond and and the you know the Townsend and those guys who Cole South Brian Hastings who took all his money <laughs> you know ran it up to a couple million dollars and then lost but uh the, the theory is is that he is uh, avoided putting his name out in public because he's Swedish and there's some tax issues. But uh, 
Poker Stars has signed this guy, Isildur One, and uh, I think he's, from what I understand, that he's moved to London. A lot of people think his name will be revealed, but you can't be sure, but his name will be revealed at some point to be Victor Blum, and uh, he is... And many people say this, um, and, and for watching him, I, I kind of like thinking it, you know, one of, if not the best heads-up no-limit hold'em player um, of the moment. You know, he's doing something that is completely different than everybody else. But anyway, Star signed him, and they started up this Sunday thing, I think it's one Sunday a month or something, a, a superstar showdown. Uh, where he plays 2,500 hands head up against, uh, you know, another superstar. A couple of weeks ago was Isaac Haxton. Haxton beat him, but admitted he got lucky. And then last night it was Tony G, our very own Tony G. Uh, and then Tony G, um, he was winning, actually. They were playing half Omaha and half, uh, you, you know, hold them. And you can't see any of the cards, and there's no commentary. And to be honest, I, I, I think that Poker Star is going to be a lot more at this production. But, you know, you have to be pretty diehard to watch this. But uh, anyway, Tony G went ahead, then he went way behind. And I think with, with a couple hundred hands to go, they were close to even. Tony had a chance to win. But he, he he lost about thirty or forty thousand, which you know, considering the stakes and the swings, wasn't that much. I think Tony G got a lot of respect for the way he played. Anyway, that's going to be our first show of next year. Uh, we're going to try and talk to Tony G about that superstar showdown, Isildur and everything. But it's pretty exciting when I say what's going to happen. I think this is 2011, isn't it? Isn't that what the future is? Is is that we know who the big names are? I mean, you've been watching the darts. You know, that's what it's about. It's about these head-to-head matchups with screaming people. That's what I want to see. Anyway, uh, wrapping up 2010 with some of the big names, uh, you know, the uh, biggest name from 2010, Antonio Esfandiari, who just won a WPT. Uh, big year for him. It's been seven years since his last WPT. This meant a lot to him. And another interview that I've been kind of keeping in the bag for about two months, uh, trying to find a good place for it. But it's, it's such a great, and it was such good content that it never gets old. Uh, Michael Craig. Who wrote the so go into it more, but he's uh, one of the great writers in poker. Wrote the 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 banker, the professor, and the suicide king. The name of the book is about Andy Beal and taking on the corporation, biggest game ever played. Uh, he writes about all the full tilt guys. Talked to him as well it's, uh, over at the World Series of Poker Europe last month. It's great stuff. Uh, anyway, that's what's on tap. Uh, nice interview with both these guys. I think it's a good show. Be right back. Hi, I'm Roland DeWolf, Triple Crown winner, and this is The Poker Show with Mickey Dane. I mean, Jesse May. Hey, Jesse, it's Kim Lansing here. If you don't have a Party Poker account, sign up today using the bonus code POKERSHOW, and we'll match your first deposit up to $500. That's $400 more than normal, but you have to use the bonus code POKERSHOW. Already got a Party Poker account? We've got something for you, too, an exclusive reload bonus. Redeposit using the bonus code POKERSHOW50, and we'll match your deposit up to $50. Antonio Esfandiari, the magician. Uh, a guy who's grown up, uh, basically, as, as maybe the original baller, as they say, as far as poker goes, or one of them, you know, grown up uh, as far as the be- from the beginning of televised poker. He's one of those guys uh, who won, I think he was 24 years old or so, uh, seven years ago, and he won a WPT in season one. He came out of nowhere, one of the most electric personalities at the time. 
and it went one like one point four million dollars. Maybe it was season two, but anyway, uh, at the time it was a massive, massive, uh, big win. You know, changed his life, and you know he's a magician. He's a big personality, buddy with Phil Locke, but. Never got that second big score. I was on high stakes poker. I think he's done very well. But kind of, you know, people starting to say as the game passed him by, this kind of thing, which obviously isn't true. You know, he gets deep this. But won one of the toughest tournaments this year of the year, the the WPT at the Bellagio, the Doyle Brunson Classic. A tough, tough final table. And it was really nice to sit down with him. Uh, Antonio's one of those guys who, uh, you know, there was a while when he had this website. I, I, th- I can't remember what the name of it was. I think it was, you know, Chains and Rings and Balls or something like that. But he is a guy. He embraced the, the partying lifestyle pretty hard. And he's come out on the other side, you know, in a very, very... Uh, much much better condition than any of the Rolling Stones did. I'll just say that he's a he's a health nut now, and he's uh, you know him and Phil Locke. They got all these games. He's one of those guys you like to see on TV, and his game can back it up. Anyway, without further ado, got a chance to talk to him right before his New Year's kicked off. Uh, this is part one of my interview with Antonio Esfandiari. Well, listen, Antonio. First of all, I mean, uh, congratulations. Been a big week in your world, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, it was rather. I don't even know what the word for it is. It was just awesome on I mean, every level possible. It, it's it's coming up on seven years, obviously. You know, since you won the the first WPT in the LA, one point four million. What, what was that kid like who won that? How different was he than the Antonio who just won last week? Wow, it's it's it's, it's a good question. I mean, before I won that tournament, I was. Um, I was definitely not the guy that I became, you know, in the years to follow. I kind of became uh, a relatively crazy, going out, um, socializing kind of guy. And then that lasted for about, I don't know, four or five years and started to slow down the last couple of years. And then, you know, I won my other WPT. So now it's kind of, you know, I went from not having, you know, any financial freedom to having financial freedom to becoming this crazy kind of party guy to, you know, winding down and realizing what I really want out of life and whatnot, and then winning another WPT. So I've I've done, like, such a 360 over and over again as far as me on a mental level that uh, it's it's pretty crazy. If you don't mind my so, asking. Yeah, it's yeah, entirely yeah. different person. What what happened to that money, that one point four million? And are you, you you know, do you wish you could do it all over again, or you know, are you going to do? Is it different this time, winning all that money, seven figures almost? I mean, nothing nothing changes in my life as far as my you know ability to do things and my freedom and my poker bank and whatnot. I mean, I've always been pretty careful as far as it came to money management. So it's not like. You know, winning this tournament, this tournament is going to change my life. Winning the other tournament definitely changed my life. Right. Um, how about I mean, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna live the same life that I lived three weeks ago as I am today. How about the poker? Because I mean, I'm guessing you're a way better poker player than you were seven years ago, but with less an edge over the field. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because seven years ago. Nobody knew how to play poker, and now there's so many kids that are so good, and so I feel as if, you know, I've grown in the last seven years as well, and so has everybody else, and if I could take the difference, if I could 
go back seven years and play like I did back then um, and not have all these little internet wizards around, I would take it all day. <laughs> all day. <laughs> right. You'd probably never lose. I mean, you know, playing like you do now, if you could do that seven years ago. Yeah, I wish I knew the things that I knew today seven years ago. Absolutely. <laughs> um Tell me about that final table was incredibly stacked and really big victory for Victory Poker, actually. Huge victory for Victory Poker. I mean, what are the chances that two Victory Poker pros get heads up at the end? I mean, that's pretty tough to do. Dan Fleshman was the happiest guy in the sidelines by far. I'll bet. I'll bet it was better for him than his final table at the World Series of Poker Europe, actually. Probably. Probably. <laughs> I mean, what is it about Victory Poker? You know, is it a it's, it's a it's a nice team you guys got? Are these are you guys? Is it a lot of up and comers? You think? I mean, is this a, a as tough a team as like you know a Tilt team, a Stars team? I mean, yeah, we have some of the best players in the world on our team, and you know, not as much notoriety as the Tilt guys because they've been around a lot longer, and it's kind of it's difficult to create that fame and break break through that barrier uh, as far as fame is concerned. But, you know, our players can play for sure. I mean, we have Jonathan Little, Paul Wasica, you know, Brian Rast, Andrew Robles. I mean, these guys are no joke. Um, you, your life now, I mean, especially with Victory Poker and, and just, you know, uh, pretty fast and loose. I saw on your Twitter this hanging out with Bruce Willis, this this movie. What what what, what was that about? Um, that was cool. I was playing poker with... Uh, with this guy who's who's like who's a producer, and he said, oh, "I'll put you in the next movie." And I said, "Come on, you know, I don't really believe it till I see it." And I'm like, "Why? Why don't you give me a hundred to one odds on a hundred dollars that I'll be in the next movie?" <laughs> and he gave me the bet. So if he didn't put me in the movie, he was going to lose ten thousand, and if he did, he was going to get a hundred. So that was probably one of the best bets I ever made. Phil and I flew out to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we did a scene with Fifty Cent. It was awesome. That sounds great. How, how's the movie? I mean, is it a poker movie? Is it? No, 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 no. Fifty Cent just comes in to rob the scene, try and get his friend, find his friend or something. Um, you know, it's not a poker movie at all. It's a, it's a pretty decent sized twenty million dollar budget movie with Bruce Willis, Fifty Cent, and Ryan Phillippe. It sounds great. Yeah, it was fun. Um. So uh, you know the other kind of stuff. You, you're, you're doing high stakes poker lately. What? What? How did that go? Uh, without the full tilt guys there, it was awesome. I mean, I'm really glad they couldn't play because they're good. Um, I can't tell you how I did, but I will tell you that I played the biggest pot of my life. And you've played some I'm big sure. pots on high stakes poker. I mean. Um, did, yeah, did you we kind played of, some big ones. Did, did you kind of have a different attitude this time? You, you know, sometimes I think people have sort of accused you of playing tight there. I mean, do you take that to heart? You know, I don't care what people accuse me of. You know, <laughs> it's a game that only runs once a year. Right. And so I'm not going to get in there and try and be the super aggro guy and get punished uh, because the next day the game isn't there. It's only there once a year. So, you know, you call me a nit all you want. I really don't care. But, you know, have I played Nitty in the past? Absolutely. But I felt as if, you know, I was at a table with Durr and Phil Ivey and Patrick Antonius. What do I need to show off for? I agree. I mean, listen, you're there to make money anyway. You know, it's not like you're... you're... I mean, I'm there to make money. If I'm, if, if I'm in a game with 
people that I can run over, I'm going to run over them. If I'm in a game with guys I can't run over, I'm not going to try. <laughs> you know, the, I care about the money. I don't care what those freaking viewers at home in Ohio sitting there watching their TV think about me playing like a nit. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Obviously, you didn't play like it at the WPT anyway, because, I mean... Right. (laughs) Now, uh, are you allowed to tell who some of the people who were in your lineup? Yeah, I had a a multi-millionaire on my left and two billionaires on his left, literally. (laughs) You're kidding. That's cool. No, I kid you not. And then uh, Viffer, Barry Greenstein, Dole Brunson, and Vanessa. Not Vanessa Russo, but the other Vanessa Vanessa Selbst, yeah. Vanessa Phelps, and I think she plays very good. Um, and the game was pretty good. But, you know, I had the worst seat because I had the three rich guys, amateurs, on my left. Right. And I, I remember one time the, the guy on my left had taken a break, and it was my button, and I was a billionaire in the small button, a billionaire in the big button. I got folded around to me, and I raised the button, and I'm like, well, I've never raised two billionaires of the same pot before. <laughs> and it was pretty funny, but they both folded. <laughs> Um, do you think that sort of like this is a, you know that that Durr and Ivy and Antonius aren't playing? Is it sort of an opportunity to showcase some other players, some of these young guys? I mean, is the show going to be as good? Are people going to like it? Yeah, I mean the producers did well. They brought you know Vanessa who plays really aggressive, and then Phil Galfonic played with who plays really aggressive, and that's what the people at home want to see. They want to see some aggressive players and a lot of action, and so we're going to see a lot of that for sure. I'm the best now, and I smash it now. I've proved it already across European side, across American side. If you don't wind me up anymore, I'm sending everyone broke, and that's the problem. <laughs> Hi, it's Melanie Iglesias from the Royal Flesh Girls. You're listening to the Poker Show with Party Poker. Nice to see how much that meant to him, to Antonio, to win this WPT. Money not going to change his life, not now, but uh, you know, still a, a, a major, major thing, and uh, obviously. Antonio living in Vegas now, he knows as much or more about Las Vegas than anyone. So one of the things I wanted to make sure I got remembered to ask him was about clubs, about restaurants, that sort of thing. Uh, here is part two of my interview with Antonio Esfandiari. Um, you and Phil Locke, I mean, you, you know, you guys have really come through a journey together. Are you guys still as tight, as good friends as you were five, six years ago? As close as can be, if not closer. <laughs> uh, wh- what do you think ab- about Phil's sort of, uh, Locke's sort of success lately? Because he's had a big year as well. Yeah, I mean, he won a bracelet, and he's running good, and I guess he's playing good. And, um, you know, he's killing himself in the mountains and surviving, and he's just he's breaking world records. I mean, the guy is just superhuman. And you, you guys both subscribe to this All-American Dave uh, fellow, right? He's your personal trainer and that sort of thing? Yep. He's the greatest. I actually have a workout with him in about an hour. And has that – do you feel like that's had a big effect on your, your poker as far as, you know, your – I don't know. Massive. I mean, massive is an understatement. Because of him, I have energy all the time. I feel so much stronger. I don't feel like a little scrawny wimp anymore. Um, you know, when I go to the tournaments now, I make my own food. You know, I eat every, every hour, basically. I have a little snack, and so I'm never hungry. Um, you know, I use really healthy products. I eat all organic, and that's all because of him. Um, I've learned so much about nutrition and diet and health. Through him, it's unreal. So I can 
definitely say that I would not have had the success I've had this year if it wasn't for for All American Day. End of the year, Antonio, is a big time for reflection. Like, you know, you can reflect on seven years, especially because you just won this tournament. Are you are you glad about the decisions you made as far as being a professional poker player? And are you are you bullish about the future for poker? I am very happy to be where I am. I'm very happy to be a professional poker player. I, you know, if you reflect back on your life, there's always things that you wish you could have done differently. I wish that I would have maybe focus more on poker in the last few years versus party. And I, in essence, don't really have any regrets because, you know, I had a better 20s than any man could ask for. I mean, <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, maybe there's like five guys that had more fun than me in my, in my late 20s. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's what life is about. You're supposed to live and you're supposed to enjoy, and you're supposed to have experiences. And, you know, I traveled the world. I met new people. I partied. I had amazing experiences and, uh, you know, women and, and, all, and, and all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I can honestly say I got it out of my system because last night I went out with a few friends, and I didn't even drink. I was just kind of drifting around, and I was walking around the club, and I was like, wow, I really don't miss this. How did I do this three, four nights a week. I mean, I was a machine, <laughs> you know, and um, I don't miss it. Um, you know, I, I still got it in me. I still like to go out and have a good time and whatnot, but, you know, I'm 32 now. I really would like to have kids in the future, and I really want to focus on work and poker and just kind of finding out what I'm doing on this planet, you know? That's great to hear you say you're, you're like you're like uh, Keith Richards, you know. You did it all and survived it, and now on the other side. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I went pretty strong, dude. I mean, <laughs> but I always had a control. I always it was always controlled. I, you know, I'm I'm not the kind of guy that has an addictive personality on any level. I'm not. You know, I didn't go and blow all my money. I didn't go out and do drugs. I didn't. You know, I would even go out sometimes in my heyday and not drink just because. I know the effect that it has on your body, so I didn't want to drink, you know, three, four, five nights in a row. You know, I would always take a break or whatnot. But, I mean, when I turned it on, I turned it on, but it was always controlled partying. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. but uh, Absolutely. But speaking of partying, I just got to ask you, because you are still the king. In Vegas, people go in there, you know, this winter, this summer. Right now, best restaurant, best club, you know, in your mind. Oh, well, the best club is about to be Marquee. And that is the club that is going to open at Cosmo on New Year's Eve. That's the new place. That's the new place. And it's not even close. It will be the best club by far. Um, the best restaurant, and I still love Excess, by the way. Excess is amazing. Um, the new restaurants, um, if you want to go for steak, cut steakhouse at Palazzo is one of my favorites, along with STK at the Cosmo is amazing. And if you want Italian, Bartolotta at the Wynn and B&B at the Venetian. Those are my four favorite restaurants. If you want sushi, I would go to somewhere off the Strip, a place called Sen of Japan. It's amazing. Wow, that sounds like gospel right there. And I'm guessing that you will be at Marquee on New Year's Eve. I will not. I actually no. have a party on New Year's Eve. 
And I believe that going to a club on New Year's Eve is one of the worst decisions um, <laughs> someone can make because you literally pay five times the normal price for a table, and all you get is a 10-second countdown at midnight. Right. And, you know, I'd rather have my friends, and I'd rather spend that money and have a party and host it myself at my condo and have all my friends and loved ones and, you know, come by. I, I get a little crazy on New Year's Eve. I love New Year's Eve. Sounds great. Well, you got a lot to celebrate this year, Antonio. Last question. Any goals for 2011? Yes. More poker. More titles. So it's it's tournament poker then. It's the big titles. Yeah, I kind of want to get after it. I mean, you know, making a comeback like this seven years later and winning a WPT is very, very, um, it means a lot to me. You know, it's kind of, I, I think a lot of people were starting to say, you know, oh, yeah, that kid used to be able to play before all the, you know, young, good players came around, and now he's just, you know, uh, what's the term, like a like a laughing stock or something like that. More personality uh, than uh, substance or something like that. It's just, you know, something like that. Yeah. And so now to come back and win another WPT is kind of like F you guys, you know. So now, you know, but, but I also haven't been hungry to win in the last five, six years. I mean, I was a little bit. I, I went through like a few months period where I really wanted to win. But now that I've come back and I have this title behind me again, two-time WPT, it's pretty hard to dispute that. And so if I continue this year and bring home another title, it's kind of like, okay, you know, Maybe the guy can play. You could definitely play. And hungry is good. That sounds great, Antonio. Hope we see you in Europe this next year. You will, absolutely. Excellent. All right, have a great New Year and a, and a happy holidays. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for your time. Take care, Antonio. Bye-bye. All right, cheers. Yo, Phil Helmuth, 11-time world champion of poker, bragging again. You're here listening to The Poker Show with Jesse May. Hey guys, it's Kara Scott here. Enter your email address at thepokershowlive.com and get the show delivered twice a week. Do you know Michael Craig or don't you know Michael Craig? If you like to read, if you like stories about the poker world, then you know Michael Craig. You should know Michael Craig. Um, the, I'm staring at the book right now in my bookshelf. It's, it's got a pretty prestigious place in my. Uh, I've, I've got a nice collection. I have to admit, I love collecting poker books. And the Professor, the Banker, and the Suicide King. It's one of those books that I have to. I would have loved to have written. I couldn't have done as good a job as Michael Craig, though. But the scenario was: <clears throat> here was a guy, uh, a writer, a journalist, uh, a guy who was kind of enthusiastic about poker who decided, and I still don't know how it happened, but he got on the inside of the biggest poker game ever played. There was a, a Texas billionaire. This is a couple of years ago. If you don't know, you should know about this. you got to get the book anyway. Named Andy Beal, uh, who has since become a Texas multi-multi-billionaire. <laughs> but he's been in the news lately. Uh, but uh, who decided he wanted to kind of I don't know. He wanted to take on the best at heads up, limit hold'em, and he wanted to play so high. At the time, he wanted to play thirty, sixty thousand dollar, and fifty hundred thousand dollar limit. Those limits had never ever been played. You're talking about, you know, you could have million, million, multi million dollar swings uh, in a session, uh, and he wanted to play those stakes. And because the best players in Vegas, uh, basically, they they didn't want to. No one had all that money that they wanted to lose on their own. No one, no one had a big enough bankroll to play him. 
So they put together what they called the corporation. It was all right with him. And they kind of took turns playing Andy Beal uh, over a series of sessions. Um, and there was a while when he beat them. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of different guys who ended up getting in that, uh, playing against him. And at the end, I think, I think Ivy finally took him down. Part of the legend of Ivy, but an amazing, amazing story, an amazing, amazing book. Uh, some of the great characters, stories about Jennifer Harmon in there and Howard Letterer and, uh, Ted Forrest, a lot of great stuff about Forrest and John Hennigan and Phil Ivy and that sort of thing. So, uh, anyway, but Michael Craig, since then, uh, he became a, you know, working for Full Tilt Poker and basically the number one guy because Full Tilt, for some reason, for all they do, they don't really have an extensive uh, – they don't have a lot of bloggers. They don't have a lot of writers and Michael Craig basically single-handedly go to the fulltiltpoker.com, you know, I think it's slash blog site or something like that and you can read all his posts. He's the guy who writes about, you know – Guys like Ivy and and uh, Dwan and Gus Hansen and m- mostly the Vegas guys, Forrest and Block and uh, you know he's very friendly with um, you know Letterer and those kind of guys. But uh, anyway, I, I was excited. I'd never actually met Michael Craig before, and so funny enough, it's <laughs> at the World Series of Poker Europe. And uh, remember that bookshop I was telling you about that old bookshop where they have all those great gambling books. I ran into him there because he's a sickie, just like me, just like the rest of us. And so uh, we did a nice interview there. Here is part one. And, and, and Michael Craig, he loves big gamblers. He loves guys like Huxie and stuff like that. So anyway, excited to talk to him. And uh, here's part one of this interview I did with Michael Craig. Well, this is a pleasure to run into Michael Craig right outside the Empire Casino. Actually, uh, Michael, I ran into you at the Natalie's uh, bookstore. And you must love that because you're a writer yourself. Uh, yeah, Natalie has an uh, incredible collection of poker books and a collection of poker writers. I was pleased to meet you there as well, Jesse, as uh, you've mentioned. Uh, we both know each other's work well, but this is the first time we've met. And it's fitting that we should meet uh, at the store of somebody who has a huge collection of poker books. Now, for people who don't uh, know your stuff, obviously, your book, The Professor, The Banker, the Suicide King, brilliant book about the Andy Beal and the corporation. Thank you. Um, I, I, which I love, but I also love the stuff you do now for Full Tilt, or you've been doing for the last couple of years, because you, to me, are the guy who really has brought those guys, those characters out, the characters we don't know. Well, thank you, and that's you know that that's my job, and it's also my pleasure. When I was working on Suicide King initially, I didn't know any of these players, but I got to know them, uh, got their trust. And uh, I found what interesting characters they were, much as you know you discovered when you were you know when you started writing about poker. Before that, it was you know an interesting world filled with fascinating people, and I've been able to continue doing that. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, some of the characters, and I think one of the guys you really like, and it's clear from your blogs and your writing, is Ted Forrest. Um, what do you know? Because we were talking about him on the radio show about this this weight bet that he had. What What do you know about how he's come out of that? Well. I- I don't know from the last month or two. I was with him the day they did the weigh-in. I, uh, I you were with him that day? Yes, I, I, I bought him his first meal after. I have I have sitting at home a receipt from Smith's Grocery Store in Henderson where he uh, bought his first food, and I watched him eat it in the grocery store aisles. Uh, now, is it, is it true he didn't eat for nine days leading up to this just to, to, to get there? Actually, what he did is he was on a, a master cleanse, which was right. uh, water, uh, maple syrup, 
uh, cayenne pepper and lemon juice, no food. He did that for nine days. The last two days he had, uh, this is in the Full Tilt Poker blog, not to trumpet it too much, but uh, it's in the blog. Uh, he ate, I believe it was like one kiwi and five blackberries. And, uh, you know, there were like a, a couple of individual pieces of fruit that he ate over the last two days. Right. And that, and that would be it for his last 11 days. He lost 10 pounds in the last 60 hours. Now, I mean, the idea, and I, I heard, a, I saw a quote from him where he said, actually, Obviously, he, he, it was for money. But it, he said it wasn't because of money. I, he I did agree. it to prove a point. What, what does that say to you about his character? Because this, this guy is really special, I think, as far as prop bets and, and poker players. Yeah, uh, he is. He's definitely part of that, that, that small group. Uh, we uh, we old-timers probably now think of him as an old-timer, but he's like 43 or 44 years old. Guys like him and John Hennigan and Huck Seed that, uh, that, you know, there's just something about being in action and having something at risk. The uh, I mean, Ted, I think Ted lives the same whether he wins or loses a million dollars, both of which he's done many times. Right. And so uh, I think he just got involved in the idea of it. And uh, as he said, he wanted to prove uh, to somebody that the impossible wasn't impossible. I tried to get him to elaborate. I haven't succeeded yet in finding out. But but the point is is that you know whatever point he was trying to make was way more important than the money because uh, you know the, the way he goes through money in good and bad times uh, indicates that he's not really motivated by money. Now, when you talk about like the full tilt poker team, all the guys you know, don't you think that this is sort of the ultimate? This is this is what these guys are about. It's not just about the cards, but about that they are the best in the world at sort of, I don't know, putting judgment behind their opinion? I think there's something, you know, that, that's probably extremely self-satisfying for the best poker players in the world who feel like, you know, that just, you know, with no equipment other than what's inside their heads, they can go anywhere and sit across from anybody, and for any amount of money that anybody is willing to put up, they will match their mind against that person's mind. You know, and that's, I mean, that, that's a real heady thing to be able to do that, to just walk around and say, you know, no matter who you are, I'm better than you. I mean, it'd be the same thing if you were, the, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world. When you walk down the street, you just know that, you know, if you had to, you could fight anybody on this block and beat them. That, uh, you know, there's something about that in poker. And uh, because it has to do with risk and because you're putting your own mental abilities on the line, it, uh, you know, it is something kind of heady to feel you're the best. From your experience, talk about Phil Ivey. Do you think all the poker aside that he has those qualities of character where there is something special, put him anywhere in anything and, and he is going to succeed on the strength of that? I, I, I think that, you know, if, if Phil for some reason could never gamble again and he had to find another job, I think that I mean, would, I'm certain the job he would find would be maybe stock trading or something like it would be something involving risk. But Phil Ivey could be successful in a number of other in a number of other businesses. He would never become successful in them because he'd rather gamble. But if it weren't for gambling, he would you know he would have to gravitate towards something like that. But he is to most people still a bit of a mystery man. I mean, what do you think? What's his defining? What what motivates him? Is it what what really? What is his defining characteristic? His personality? Uh, you know, at, at the risk of seeming. You know, giving the idea that there's less that there's less there than meets the eye. I think that you know he's just you know he loves to gamble. Uh, and just if you got a million people together who said I love to gamble, he is the best out of that million. Uh, but uh, you know, just you know, er, you know, every day, hundreds, thousands, millions, whatever people say I love to gamble. I want to try to do it. 
somebody has to be the best out of all those people, and it's him. Who, who are your other favorite characters among the Full Tilt, you know, team? I mean, I mean, are the Red Pros? I mean, I think Huck Seed kind of fits in that mold as well. Uh, uh, Huck Seed is a phenomenal character. I've only got yeah, talked with Huck a couple of times. He's a difficult guy to get close to. Yeah, he's but, very uh, aloof. But, you know, f- phenomenally intelligent, has a great sense of humor, but very reticent in dealing with people. Uh, I got to meet him with Ted Forrest one night. They gave me a Raz lesson uh, a number of years ago, and uh, I asked Huck about the famous golf bet where he played five rounds of golf in one day right. in the summer in Las Vegas without a cart, he had to shoot under 95 uh, four rounds in a row, and because he shot 95, not under the first round, he had to so he do four six. more. Right. Uh, he had to yeah. do four rounds, right. and he had to play five because the fifth he was on the number. The uh, I asked him about that, and I was I was t- I was tongue tied. I mean, to me, and I feel you feel the same way that it's like you know here is like the history of crazy gambling in one person. Right. Uh, what do I ask? And so I, you know, I just said, well, what was that like? And he said. Well, the only thing that really uh, bothered me afterward is I, I had a sore throat for about a week. And I said, a sore throat? He said, yeah, because I swallowed so much water, I gave myself a sore throat. The, that, that, that was it. When Eric, Lindgren, right, when, when Eric Lindgren did the same thing, the same sort of thing, 15 years later, Eric, I heard, you know, was contemplating having an operation on his knee several months later right. because uh, he thought he may have permanently damaged it. Huck had a sore throat. Right, and he is an incredible athlete. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's beaten, uh, I did get him to tell me the story about how he beat an NBA, uh, an NBA player one-on-one. Hello, I'm Black Belt Poker's Neil Channing, and you're listening to The Poker Show with Jesse May. Marvelous. Hi, this is Jennifer Haley. Please enter your email address at www.thepokershowlive.com and get the show delivered twice a week. He does have great stories. I have to say, he tells great stories. He knows great stories. I hang on his every word. And here is part two of the interview with Michael Craig. Now, as far as your writing goes, the blog's been going on for a while. Three and a half years. Yeah. A million words. And, 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 right, and everything is still up there. I mean, if people haven't, haven't, for some reason, haven't read it, because it's it's not that well publicized, they can go to the fulltillpoker.com. Right, yeah, fulltillpoker.com, poker-blog, or if you just go, if you look up Michael Craig Poker, or Michael Craig Full Tilt, or Michael Craig Blog, or Full Tilt Blog, you can find it, and... um, the, it's mostly indexed pretty well. So, like if you know, like if you're a big fan of Mike Mattiso, you can read uh, Mike Mattiso stories, like the time when uh, I found Sam Grizzle sleeping on Mike Mattiso's couch, or the you know uh, the time when Mike Mattiso uh, won a tournament, knowing that he almost overslept on the final day. I mean, I you know I, I try to share the experiences I have with these people because I think they're interesting people and lead remarkable lives, and so I try to bring that to everybody. I, I just want to ask you one thing. It's just about about, about your book, The Professor, the, the Baker and the suicide yeah. picture. Uh, be, because right after, it, it, it's, it's about Andy Beale, who took on the corporation. Right. It was a 50,000, 100,000, and 30,000, 60,000 mm-hmm. limit holder match. It was an incredible story. Um, afterwards, there was a series of sort of public uh, letters that went back and forth. Uh, I, we never, I never really heard what the fallout was. What is Andy Beale? How did he leave it? Because he's obviously been tremendously successful right. since then. Right. Well, what happened was the... Andy started reading, uh, this was while I was still writing the book, I right. mean, the, the games took place ending in May 2004, I started writing the book during that period, and so I didn't know anybody while the games were going on, it was right. immediately after, and so I did my research during 2004, my book didn't come out till the middle of 2005, in that interim, that's when people started writing articles, and... Uh, 
Andy wrote a letter, a, a public letter in CarPlayer. Doyle responded with an email, right. and uh, right, right. Well, what happened is, you know, there, there was like a, a uh, there was a newspaper article and a magazine article where people had give, players had given quotes, not all that different from some of the things they were telling me, but they were just individual quotes where somebody said, oh, you know, Andy beat Chipperies for ten million. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Johnny Chan said this. Uh, Michael Kaplan uh, wrote yeah. a cigar aficionado. Uh, he beat Chipperies for ten million dollars. Uh, Andy, you know, was lucky out of his mind. He was making straights and flushes all over the place. The and, and Andy felt like uh, Johnny Chan wasn't even there. And when he right. played Johnny Chan, he beat Johnny Chan. Right. And so he felt like being the outsider, everybody was just talking and saying, you know, telling things that weren't true or were being exaggerated. And so Which he, that he really did hold his own for right. quite a long and, time. And so, so he these felt, players. and of course, I, you know, I was working on this book, and the book wasn't out yet. And I was saying, well, that's you know, that's the way I'm writing it, Andy. That's you know, you know, I think that I think you get your due in my book. But uh, you know, he felt like uh, everybody was ganging up on him, and so so he said it really is a rhetorical thing. But he was going to back up. He said, if I'm as big a fish as these guys say, then I'm sure they'll come down to Dallas and they'll play me for you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. And the players, you know, they didn't want to play him in Dallas for a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. On the other hand, if he wanted to play poker, they wanted him to come and play poker. Right. So, so they didn't want to ignore him, and they didn't really want to turn him down. But they, their job isn't to go today. Maybe fifty years ago, it's go wherever the guy is. But now they have these, you know, glittering casinos where they work, and so they, you know, so they, they kind of started this dialogue that it wasn't really so much about whether people were telling tales out of school about Andy. It was where and when they would play. Eventually, they, uh, they played a series of games at the win in 2006. I wrote uh, uh, two really lengthy articles for uh, Bluff Magazine. They're probably available online. Um, the, uh, uh, the banker, was it the banker? The, uh, the banker, the junk man, the boss, and the uh, and the warrior queen. It was about the first set of games, and then uh, the banker and the ice man. It was about when uh, when, when they played Ivy. Yeah, uh, they played three times: once for five days, once for four, once for three. When they played for five days, Andy lost three million. When they played for four, Andy won ten million. So he was up seven million, and uh, he came back, and uh, Ivy beat him for the seven million in the first two days, and then for another ten on the third day. Right, and that was the, that's, that's sort of the legend of Ivy. Kind right, of coming Seven, to the 17, floor there. 17 million right. in three days. Right. And not just 17 million, but it's like, you know, $7 million that his friends had all lost right. that he won back for them, and then another $10 million. Right, amazing. And so do you think Andy might, I mean, do you think he may be back at one point? Uh, you know, you, you can never say never. I think uh, what I tell people now is that Andy's found a bigger game because uh, yeah. Andy's... Uh, Since the crash, he's been one of the most successful yes, bankers in, fact, in the world. Right, yeah. and uh, according to the Forbes 400, uh, his his net worth in the last year went up from million five to four and a half million, from billion yeah. five to four point five billion. Yeah. You know, most of the big fortunes went down because of the stock market and the banking crisis. He, his went up because that's the environment where he makes his money, and right. so... Uh, I talk with him every so often. He's just, you know, he keeps saying, you know, he'd like to get together with the guys sometime or have, you know, maybe have some of these pros out to dinner or, you know, just kind of like relive things just to talk about it, not even necessarily to play, but that he, you know, he's just so busy that, that these ideas for plans never come through. But uh, he would tell you that he's never going to play poker again, but he still remains fond of it, still remains fond of these players, and in the right circumstance would come back and play. In fact, uh, in January, uh, he was out for a banker's meeting in Las Vegas, and he was uh, taking a bunch of uh, bunch of friends and their wives to dinner, and uh, his friend Craig Singer, who uh, he played with a lot in Texas, was sort of his trainer and assistant uh, in these games, uh, he said to Craig, he says, what do you say we call Doyle up and see if he wants to play a little bit? And 
actually what they did is they they called Jennifer Harmon and she and a few other players showed up at the, uh, Bobby's room at midnight, you know, in January, and they played for several hours, right. like a thousand, two thousand yeah. limit hold'em, just for fun, just kicking around, right? Yeah. And so you know, so uh, you know, the idea that Andy Beal somehow is like afraid to ever touch a playing card is not the case. He's right. just he's playing a bigger game now. Very good. All right, listen, thanks for talking with Michael. Any uh, little clue on if there's another book in the works for you? Uh, I don't know. I you know I I'm greedy and uh, I I'm greedy and I'm needy. I spend a lot of money. I need a lot of money, and uh, I, you know I, I I'm trapped in poker, happily trapped. Full tilt pays me well. Yeah, you made it's a, a nice World Series final table. Yeah, I mean you know you've done all right. Oh, that money's long gone. <laughs> it's like I tell people I spent that money and I broke the stuff I spent right. it on. But uh, you know I like what I'm doing. I don't think uh, for the type of books that I want to write, there's a market to pay the type of money I'd like to make for another poker book. If there was, I'd be all over it. The uh, you know if uh, you know for instance uh, the late great Jack Strauss, if somebody said we'll pay you one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to write a book about Jack Strauss, I would be there instantly. I'd like to read it. The uh, <laughs> but you know I don't think there's a market uh, among publishers for that type of money for a poker book these right. days. So uh, if I'm you know if I'm going to be writing about poker, it'll be for full tilt. If I am not writing about poker for full tilt, then I probably won't be writing about poker, and I'll work out you know some other area where I find a great story that I feel like telling. All right, cheers. Thank you. Best of luck here in London. Thanks, Michael. Oh, thank you. Thanks All so right. much, Jesse. Cheers. Pleasure to meet you. What's up, guys? It's Dragon here. You're listening to the Party Poker Show with Jesse May and Party Poker. Hey, guys. This is Sinisa. I'm with the Royal Flush Girls. You're listening to the Poker Show with Jesse May and Party Poker. That's pretty much all we have time for today and in, in 2010. Next time, I am going to track down Tony G, find out what he thinks about Isildur. Uh, it's going to be a big year. Hope everyone's got their 2011 plans in order. Good luck and see you soon.